a different kind of gap year podcast. A podcast focused on building knowledge, awareness, skill and support in recovery or prevention of burnout. Each month showcases either a guest who comes on the podcast and shares their personal experience of burnout to recovery or a knowledge-based episode where an expert guest or I, a clinical psychologist, share skills and strategies to prevent or overcome burnout. The views, opinions, tips and the like expressed in this podcast by myself or my guests are not a replacement for personalised therapy. Just like I have done for myself, I encourage those of you who are suffering to seek professional help. Welcome to episode 16 of Burnout, A Different Kind of Gap Year. You're with Shannon Swales, founder and creator. This month I'm taking a different angle. Usually on the podcast, you hear from a person who bravely shares their burnout to recovery experience with you. I plan to continue doing this, but every second month, I will be focusing an episode on providing information to support those eager to learn about burnout, to deal with it or prevent it. This month, the topic is about providing you with a snapshot of what is currently known about burnout syndrome. This information is something I started to gather in the early stages of my burnout experience and gathered over the next 18 months or so till now. So I want to share what I've learned with you. But first, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners and their custodianship of the lands on which I deliver this podcast, which, which is the Yugger and Turbul people uh, here in Mianjin, which is the Aboriginal name for Brisbane. I acknowledge the cultural and spiritual connection that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have with the land and the sea. And I pay my respects to elders past and present, as well as existing and emerging leaders who walk together in partnership on this journey. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders peoples listening to this podcast right now. I would like to share something interesting I found out recently. The Aboriginal name for Brisbane, Mianjin, which is not the thing that I wanted to share, but was something I only learnt recently. But it actually means place shaped like a spike. For those who are local in Brisbane, uh, you'll understand this as I explain. This is reference to the spike of land where the Brisbane Central District, Business District, the CBD, is now located, shaped by a bend in the Brisbane River. So there you go. Before we dive into the topic for today, burnout syndrome, I wanted to take a little bit of time to formally introduce myself. You see, when I first started Burnout A Different Kind of Gap Year, I didn't make a point that I am a psychologist who usually provides emotional and mental care for others, or certainly did prior to burnout. (laughs) I did this purposely to support my healing process at the time. I needed not to be in the caring role or known for that caring role, but to be part of receiving care. That was a big part of my gap year. So when I started the blog, now vlog and podcast, it was to care for me as, as, as much as it was to care for others. It was to show up as human first. I needed time to be in that space because I lost myself in, in the identity of being a psychologist caring for others. Now that I'm healed or healed enough and able to step back into the caring role, which has only been something quite recent, I feel ready to show up as both human and psychologist. 
a psychologist who wants to make her work about helping others heal from burnout or prevent it or raise awareness about it. So I am introducing myself, the psychologist side of me, and I'd like to share with you my journey to becoming a psychologist. So my road to becoming a psychologist was born out of a few conversations with a really lovely regular customer of mine back in my cafe barista days, which were in my early 20s. Uh, I was at a crossroads at the time. I seem to get there a lot of times Uh, and I didn't want to be where I was working um, at the cafe as a duty manager, but I didn't know where I wanted to be. I was lost, a familiar place that I have been in. But hearing about my customer's journey with studying psychology, which she was at the time, sparked a, what I've come to know an already existing curiosity to understanding uh, others and you know why they think, feel, and behave in the way they do. But funny enough, I later became I, I realized that I was also doing it to understand myself. While studying psychology, I started my practical experience delivering counselling services to people in need through several well-known Australian um, services. They included Lifeline. This is a a crisis uh, telephone counselling line uh, where volunteers uh, are trained to help others who call uh, in. Uh, I also worked at Centrecare as a case manager for the long-term unemployed. And I also worked for Quitline, a telephone counsellor service for people looking at quitting smoking. So uh, I was eventually awarded a Bachelor in Science majoring in psychology from the University of Southern Queensland, and that was in 2005. And I went on to do my honours in psychology at Griffith University down in Brisbane in 2006. I eventually applied and and scored a place in uh, the master's clinical psychology program at Griffith. Uh, I started in 2008 and finished in 2013 and received my clinical endorsement um, in psychology in 2015. So throughout my psychology career, I have worked in, uh, did my training in or worked in hospital, hospital and community settings. And from 2013 to 2021, I've worked primarily in private practice settings. I would have probably clocked up to 10,000 plus client hours, who knows, Um, working mostly with adults 16 years and up, probably my eldest oldest client, sorry, is probably around 85 uh, and dealing with a range of psychological or psychosocial issues, uh, depression, anxiety, trauma, stress relationship issues, uh, finance issues, uh, lots of things, employment. Uh, so I've provided both individual and group therapy with, I tend to have an eclectic mixture of evidence-based practices in terms of my approach, but my predominant thing is, uh, about creating a safe, supportive and sacred space for my clients to be able to open up and share and, and ultimately move in the health direction that they need to, or want to in their life to, you know, support their overall health and well-being. My last workplace was a lovely practice called Cest Infusion, a thriving and still thriving Redland Bay, Queensland, Australia psychology practice. I was there for five years. 
uh, and would still be there today if it wasn't for my burnout. This place uh, was a very safe and supportive work environment and this is something that's become very paramount to me and was before I, I went to Zest. It was reason why I went to Zest because I knew it'd be a safe and supportive work environment and it was. I felt right at home working in this space with them. So I didn't work for four months after my burnout reached its peak in February 2021 and I returned to part-time work in July 2021 and not as a, uh, a psychologist providing therapy because that was I was on my gap year and made a promise to myself to not step in that caring role until I was healed. So I worked as a lecturer I was teaching or I still am um, teaching counsellors who up-and-coming counsellors so teaching them the skills uh, to do that work yeah and I'm still working there as I said uh, and will be up until February 2023 and from there or before then I'm start I will be merging back into my role as a psychologist providing therapy to those experiencing burnout in things like individual therapy but workshops groups and, and possibly hopefully retreats in in the future so there you go I didn't think I would be returning to this role of carer for others but here I am it feels right and I'm ready so this month, the topic is about getting a snapshot of what is currently known about burnout syndrome, information I've gathered over the last 18 months since I've immersed myself in my own experience and understanding it and healing from it. The questions that I want to answer basically to cover this topic are, what is burnout? Defining it. What, how prevalent is it in our society? How do you know you're experiencing burnout? So the signs, the symptoms, who is at risk in suffering from burnout? What impact can burnout have on one's life? And how does one overcome burnout or prevent it from happening in the first place? And what supports are available out there to tap into if you are or someone you, you care about is suffering from burnout? The four things that I hope that you get from listening in today is that you'll be able to start to detect burnout in yourself if it's happening for you. You'll be able to start to notice burnout in others, that you'll be able to start to respond to your own burnout effectively, or be able to start to respond to someone else's burnout effectively as well. Burnout, what exactly is it? We don't know what we don't know. Knowing is part of the process to heal, and I want to help you with this knowing part. Knowing helps inform the next parts, what to look out for, the signs, and what to do about it. Burnout, interestingly, was first defined by Freudenberger in 1974, five years before I was born. He defined burnout as the response to long-term stress due to unfavorable working conditions in the workplace. Burnout has gained much attention since then, especially in the past few years since the world's landscape changed due to COVID. In the burnout research literature, it is reported that there is a lack of consensus on one theory or model that explains burnout. But I'm going to introduce two models that are most commonly referred to by researchers and practitioners in this area. So the first one is the Maslach's model of burnout, 1982, uh, when it was introduced. This, uh, she defined burnout as a psychological syndrome involving emotional exhaustion, which means feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, 
Uh, depersonalization, which meant means increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job, and a diminished sense of personal accomplishment, which means reduced professional efficacy. She goes on to report that this psychological syndrome usually occurs among various professionals who work with other people in challenging situations. This model particularly I can relate to because all of those three things, the emotional exhaustion, the uh, depersonalization, and certainly the professional efficacy were all things that I experienced in the peak of, of my burnout. The other model I want to introduce to you to help understand what is burnout is a model that explains stress. Even though the model is focused on stress, it is pertinent to burnout considering the connection between chronic stress load and burnout. One leads to the other. The job demands resources model classifies risk factors for job stress into two general categories, job demands and job resources. They can be applied to uh, all occupational settings and arguably any role we have in life, mother, parent, guardian, carer, etc. Job demands refers to physical, psychological, social and organisational aspects of the job that require a sustained physical and psychological effort of skills. This can be writing your case notes, this could be marketing, promotion, professional development, emotionally demanding interactions with your clients or colleagues, working remotely, uh, the, the list is endless. Job demands don't have to be negative in nature either. It's more about the sustained effort required with little to no recovery time that matters about job demands. The other category, job resources, refer to those physical, psychological, social, organizational aspects of the job that are a function in achieving work goals, reduces work demands and reduces potential costs associated and stimulates personal growth, learning and development. These things can be things like your pay, career opportunities, uh, job security, peer support, supervision, team climate, climate, role clarity, autonomy, safety resources, performance feedback, flexible hours, paid leave, sick leave. The, again, the list is endless. The risk for job stress is brought about by an imbalance between the job demands and job resources. When job resources are low and job demands are high, stress occurs. If this is temporary, this is okay. Humans are built to be able to manage acute stressful situations. However, when there is an ongoing high, high job demand and low resource situation with no or little reprieve, this can lead to debilitating stress levels that can make us vulnerable to burnout syndrome and, and a, a list of other physical and mental health issues. So these models together help us to understand how burnout can occur the job demand resource model, as just explained, and what burnout looks like. Maslach's model of burnout with the emotional exhaustion, the depersonalization, and that reduced professional efficacy. The interesting thing is that despite the intention burnout has been given, it is not recognized as a standalone clinical diagnosis. And as a clinical psychologist, I can tell you it is not listed in either of the diagnostic manuals in print for psychological or physical health conditions. However, the World Health Organization, WHO, listed burnout under occupational syndrome in the ICD-11, which is one of the diagnostic manuals used by health prof professionals. 
And this was done in 2020, so not, you know, what, one or two years ago now. This is a great step forward in recognizing that this is a serious condition that has debilitating effects on the person as well as people around and systems as well. So it needs, it needs attention. So let's now turn to looking at the prevalence of burnout in our world. It is without a doubt that burnout is occurring in record numbers across a lot of professions, particularly those in uh, caregiving roles. So in 2021, a global burnout study concluded that burnout is a growing problem across industries around the world. Burnout has increased by over 5% in the last 12 months from 2020 to 2021. In 2021, 58% of Australian GPs, doctors, reported managing burnout was one of their top challenges. 79% of primary care nurses reported having felt burnout during the pandemic. Burnout rates of 70.9% amongst Australian healthcare workers during COVID. Particularly interesting is that there tends to be higher rates in women than in men. And there tends to be higher rates of that emotional exhaustion from Maslach's model in women uh, and psychologists. But higher rates of depersonalization in the Maslach's model in men. There is no significant difference in burnout rates amongst work patterns, like with shift working, found anyway, in the research conducted, or even in age or marital status. And there are higher rates of burnout amongst tertiary students studying social work, psychology and nursing in their final year. And this also predicts later burnout at work. So people are already experiencing burnout before they get into these industries that are vulnerable to burnout. So let's move on to the next topic. What do we need to look out for that would let us know we're experiencing burnout? Now, with my own experience in talking to a lot of people on the podcast and just in general about burnout, a lot of the things they've reported to me that they're experiencing that that I experienced are also things that have been found in the research on people who are or have experienced burnout. So I'm going to list off those things that come from all that all of that information there that I've gathered. So, and most of this research has been done on uh, medical professionals, uh, so doctors and nurses, but some other professions as well have been covered and non-professions too. So carers, psychologists, counsellors, parents, veterinarians. Um, yeah, so a, a wide and varied, but mostly with medical professionals. Some of the signs and symptoms of burnout that have been found are things such as negative attitudes towards work. I had that one, uh, but it can be with life and, and other people as well, that negative attitude, not just at work, exhaustion, fatigue, despair, hopelessness, cynicism, emotionally and cognitively distancing self from work, a lack of empathy, reduced work performance, anxiety, stress, depression, low mood. Irritability, irritability, sorry, anger even, disturbances in sleep, lack of motivation and passion, lack of concentration, memory loss or brain fog, withdrawal from others, uh, some physical symptoms. It can be just general aches and pains, headaches, nausea, low libido, and, and just emotional fragility as well. 
Do you notice any of these in yourself or, or maybe people around you? Uh, I certainly would tick or would have ticked every, every single symptom I just listed off during my burnout and, and you know, during my recovery as well. Yeah. And, and certainly my, my partner, my husband would, would say that he would have noticed a few as well, but didn't have the knowledge or understanding at the time, you know, to be able to call it burnout, but he noticed things like my withdrawal behavior, my, uh, irritability and quick to anger picking fights. So, yeah. And just a note here, if this is something you are noticing in yourself or becoming aware of just hearing about these signs, and I'll talk about it in, in a segment in this in this episode, but I just want to stress to you that there is help. Go see your doctor, talk about it, explore options to get therapy uh, to support your mental health. I want to share with you now a short clip from one of my guests on the podcast, my previous guest, Eunice, in episode nine, uh, where just she shared a little bit about her signs, her symptoms of her burnout experience. And I don't take days off work. I don't have, I don't really have sick days and I don't really have much time off. So, yeah. but I took the, de- the time off. I rescheduled clients and I never rescheduled clients. So I kind of knew that that was something. For me, for me to do that, I knew something was going on. And instead of bouncing back, I didn't bounce back from that. It just continued to, I guess, get worse. The signs and symptoms continued to get worse. So I remember lots of feelings of overwhelm going to work. I had a huge sense of dread every time I had to go to work or start work. I was irritable a lot. I, uh, sleep was a big indicator, so I stopped sleeping. And, and sleep stayed affected for the next, I think, 18 months um, afterwards. So, and then it was really hard to concentrate. I couldn't put a report together. I had bouts of crying that I couldn't actually identify why. And, mm. and I think overall there was this huge underlying sense of feeling really incompetent in in myself in my work especially uh Mm -hmm. feeling really ineffective as you heard from Eunice there quite a a number of symptoms she experienced that you know you heard from me before but also some uh, additional ones there with a bit more detail like that that feeling of dread going to work feeling overwhelmed and and for her that sleep was the primary symptom for her and indicated that things weren't okay but for somebody else like for me the the primary symptom that was my kind of like red flag was my depersonalization my detachment from my work I used to say things like I'm going to go and pretend to care now that loss of empathy although I still showed up and turned up and and was you know there for my clients that detachment was not me and and is not okay and that one certainly you know stuck around for a long time till I stepped away from work Uh, So yeah, everyone's experience is different and valid. So let's now turn to the risk factors. So who's at risk of experiencing burnout? Because not all of us experience it, despite maybe being exposed to similar situations. 
So there are a number of risk factors that I've discovered in my own research on the literature and being exposed to other people's experiences of burnout and my own. Uh, and the evidence is quite strong on these factors. And these factors can be categorized into three different groups. So it can be occupationally related, organizational related, or individual related. I'm going to just list off a number of these factors that have been found in the research on people at risk of experiencing burnout syndrome. So they are perfectionism, work-focused traits, work and non-work related carer type roles. So where the role involves dealing directly with ill people. So this could be teachers, nurses, psychologists, physicians, carers, the, the list is endless, volunteers. Other risk factors are that high workload, so that high job demand, role con conflict, role ambiguity, low predict predictability at work, lack of participation in work decisions or allowed to make uh, be involved in work decisions, lack of autonomy, work pressures, lack of feedback from uh, your, your superiors, lack of support at work or at home or both, work perceived unfairness, low sense of coherence, alexithymia, which is a broad term to describe problems with feeling emotions, neuroticism, low extroversion, so more introversion uh, personality traits, agreeableness, and conscientiousness, so those personality traits put us at higher risk. Intensive and emergency care work situations, so more of an organizational, occupational uh, risk factor there. Stress in private life. I've certainly noticed this in, in talking to others experiencing burnout, that often it was not just the job demands, but also the demands at home as well were higher, particularly during COVID for those who are in lockdown and with children or others to care for. Low levels of resilience, low self-esteem or low self-efficacy, external locus of control, which is uh, someone who believes that there is a powerful force that affects their choices and future outside of them. These people often find themselves demotivated as they feel as if their actions do not influence the outcomes of their life. Avoidant type coping styles, workplace violence and bullying, workload, too much, not enough resources, Control in the workplace, so micromanagement, uh, lack of influence, ac accountability without power. Reward in the workplace, so not enough pay, acknowledgement or satisfaction provided. Community, so factors like uh, isolated uh, conflict in the community, disrespect. Fairness, so uh, discrimination and favoritism in the workplace. And values. So in the workplace, this could be ethical conflicts. I, uh, with veterinarians, for example, uh, you know, with euthanasia and particularly euthanizing healthy animals, but due to the the you know the dumping of the animals and the overpopulation of the rescue places, or meaningful tasks, things that don't have a meaningful connection, sustain sustain the sustainment of workloads. So. If that workload is, you know, high in terms of job demands, but sustaining that with no break at all makes us at risk of burnout. 
and work where you have to express one emotion but feel another, which is very symbolic of, of psychology. Um, you know, especially when I was you know leading up to the peak of my burnout, you know, having to and wanting to sustain that compassion and that empathy and that unconditional positive regard and non-judgmental stance and being totally present for the client whilst also suffering really badly inside and just wanting to you know break down and cry uh so where that's that that duality and whatever that looks like that can also put you at risk of of burnout as well if that's something chronic and ongoing without any breaks or or ability or resource to be able to attend to those uh, emotional experiences so do you fall into any of those risk factor categories when you reflect on your you know, current environments your occupation the organization you work in or even your own internal individual factors like are you neurotic like i am are you conscientious are you uh, do you have that perfectionism that unrelenting standards and expectations on yourself if you do keep on listening, what I, who I want to share now is, is my episode five guest, Davina, a psychologist who talks to some of her risk factors in this podcast episode. I don't think it's the industry's fault. I think as individuals, we put pressure on ourselves sometimes. Mm. And I know that was the right thing for me that I put a lot of pressure. There's a lot of self perceived mm. things that I should be doing, mm. but I think the culture around it rewarded me for that mm. and that's for me probably why I continue to do it I got promotions doors opened mm. it was like okay you keep pushing you keep striving you mm. keep running yourself into the ground and you're actually going to have doors open because yeah. that's that was my experience for a long time yeah. and then people often say oh you're such an amazing you're such a high achiever and I was like oh yeah I am mm. today I, I try to shut that down because I'm like I'm I find that that's actually not a helpful thing to yeah. say to me because it it's I'm not necessarily a high achiever. Mm. I I like to do things. I like mm. to do things well, but I'm not this, if it doesn't work out perfectly, it doesn't have to. It doesn't mm. matter. Back then, absolutely. Mm. It, it, you know, I was very much rewarded for being so young and doing such amazing things and yeah. it was very validating and very, um, uh, my self-worth was yeah. very much attached to that. Yeah. You can really hear there with Davina's experience that there was the perfectionism at play in her early career that contributed to her burnout, but particularly the culture that in the industry, her industry or our industry, that rewarded that at the time as well, so only perpetuated it. And sometimes it is the culture in which we live in that perpetuates these individual factors that are putting us at risk or leading us to suffer from burnout. Uh, things like, you know, perfectionism is all about meeting these unrelenting standards, standards and keeping up with the Joneses, so to say, and, and self-worth based on this identity of success. And, and I'm not sure about the parts of the world that you're from, but certainly here in Australia, there's this culture of, um, success based on your know, busyness and, and continuing to achieve in your work life. And if you're not, you know, it's, it's, you're seen as not a success. So yeah, there's a lot of reinforcement of unhealthy behavioral patterns uh, from a cultural perspective as well. 
that is not our fault. We, you know, the culture, but it is our responsibility to change. So next I want to explore the impacts of burnout. So in this section, I want to answer that question, what impact can burnout have on one's life? And I'm here to tell you a bloody lot. The impact is widespread and not just on the individual. I think I mentioned earlier, it also has an impact on your relationships, your family, your friends, your colleagues. It has an impact on your work settings or any other systems that you're involved in. And it does have a wider impact on the community as well. So the impacts, interesting enough, uh, do not, uh, are the same, sorry, across occupations, or at least that's what the research literature has found so far. It is important to note that the evidence is quite strong in, in terms of our understanding of the impacts of burnout uh, at this point in, in time. So looking at individual factors first in terms of impact, there's mental physical, social, and financial impacts. They include ill health. I remember, I mean, I still get sick now, but that's for other reasons, but just picking up bugs, always being sick. Uh, so my immune system was certainly impacted by the chronic stress loads. Uh, increased absenteeism. That word is a little bit hard to say, but basically days off work, which tick, that was me. Uh, low work productivity. So not being able to produce the same amount of work that I usually do or in the rate that I did. There's links to chronic heart disease in terms of the impact of burnout, even type 2 diabetes, common infections, musculoskeletal pain. And I was experiencing a lot of pain. I was, I was seeing my remedial masseuse, I think fortnightly and then monthly because I couldn't afford the fortnightly depressive symptoms, severe injuries, disability pensions. So that's often, you know, the impact when not able to work, being so chronically ill that um, one then needs to rely on the pensions available in, in your community, in your, your country, <laughs> premature death. Increased trauma, so things like falls, traffic accidents are linked to impacts of burnout. Decreased work success, decreased job satisfaction, tick on that one. Lowered loyalty or commitment to a job. Relationship distress. Distancing and aggression in, in that area of relationship distress. Career loss, hello. Um, Job loss, hello again. The list goes on in terms of those individual impacts. In terms of the organizational impacts that have been uh, gleaned from research, well, of course, the increased absenteeism rates of employees and also presenteeism costs. Now, what presenteeism is, is that, well, people are showing up, they're there, but their productivity is lower. So the cost to the organization of those, you know, the sick leave and also that productivity being lower, which is an impact of their employees experiencing burnout. Here in Australia, one, uh, one research study of this uh, cost noted that $14.81 billion per year is lost as a result of um, absenteeism and presenteeism. High staff turnover as well is, is a impact on organizations for uh, employees suffering from burnout. And as I mentioned, that lower productivity as well, just to name a few. In society, so just you know, drawing it out a little bit, the impacts here, well, 
if people are out of work, I mean, economy wise, uh, you know, needing to rely on social services like disability pension. So that's a cost to the society healthcare costs, because as we just noted, the links there to physical health issues and, and mental health issues as, as, as well. So loss to economy, as I mentioned, and I want to note also you know, in my work with working with directly with with clients that the ethical impact on the care of our clients when we're not well enough, when we're not healed enough to work with them, that this can lead to some detrimental impacts on our client, mistakes being made. That was one of the reasons why I stayed away once my health pushed me over the edge and I wasn't able to work again, even though I wanted to go back because I needed to earn money blah, blah, blah. I stayed away because ethically it wasn't okay to be practicing with clients at the time. Uh, with that peak of my burnout, I needed to heal first. So that's a potential society um, impact as well. So yeah, if you're experiencing burnout, what impacts do you notice that it's having on you? Or if you know of someone, you know, what impacts you're noticing it's having, or if you're a, you know, a business owner and, and you can relate to, to that cost it's having on your organization as well. So burnout impacts everybody. So now I want to share with you another clip of a beautiful, my youngest guest, actually, her name is Talia, and she was a guest on episode eight of the podcast. And she was a high school student at the time of her burnout. She was actually year 11 going into year 12. So here in Australia, that's your final year. Uh, there's a lot of pressure in that year in terms of performance to be able to go on into university and, and, and further studies to establish your career. So let's hear from her about the impacts of burnout for her. Amongst that, but then for the people around me to see this huge change in my personality, it was quite terrifying for them. A lot of them have said and that it was just, as you can imagine, like very hard to watch someone change so much. But I think it was particularly difficult in grade 12 because the reason I was so burnt out was because of how hard I had been working at school and also other aspects of my life. So for every year of my life, I've gotten straight A's at school. And then for in grade 12, because of that, I felt incapable of doing study or focusing in class or paying attention. So then it was also scary because I was like, well, if I can't even, and I kept on saying finish strong or get good grades in the final year or end high school well, then it's made all the other years that have led to my burnout not worth it. It kind of felt mm. it's like mm. if I've worked so hard and done well every year of my high school life, other than the year that it actually counts, that also was just really hopeless and really mm. scary and frustrating. And I couldn't really do anything to change that either. So it was hard to wrestle those things because I knew I knew that working hard and pushing myself to the absolute max was no longer what well, was never healthy for me. Mm. But at the same time, this was the one year where it actually would have been helpful to be able to do those mm. things. So my life did just get completely flipped on my head and the life of those around me as well it was crazy. I remember that episode well and, and uh, recording that chat with her and for such a young person, there was so much wisdom to be gained by from her her story for myself, but I'm sure for those who listened to it. And as she talked about there, that impact on her last year of, of school there and because she was no longer able to 
you know, push herself, which was something she did before and, and now recognized wasn't healthy for her. But when she needed it most, she couldn't tap into that. Uh, so the impact there on her schooling, uh, but also her family, because she shifted and changed so much. She wasn't the Talia she was before uh, burnout. Uh, so it was scary for her, but for them as, as well. I just want to make mention here that there's a lot of focus on the, the negative impacts with what I've just shared with you and that Tali has shared with you. But there's also another story here, and that's the positive impacts that burnout has. Now, I know that sounds a little bit you know, silly, but that for me, but also people that I've spoken to that have since recovered from burnout, they can actually see and talk to the positive things about their burnout experience. And this tends to be the things that burnout has taught us, the life lessons that we gained from burning out. Uh, you know, things like for me, I cherish that my burnout taught me the importance of slowing down and, and resting and, and prioritizing myself that without experiencing that big slap in my face, the, the burnout, I may not have learned that lesson. Now, I wish I didn't experience burnout to get that lesson, but I cherish the burnout for being the precipice for that. Also, being able to see the positives in it also helps me to be okay with the experience as well. Now, that doesn't mean I don't notice the negatives. I actually try to adopt quite a neutral you know, neutral attitude towards all of my burnout, the things that it's given me, the gifts, but also the, the difficult side of it as well, that it's just, it's an experience in my life that has lots of many layers and elements to it, including these ones that I cherish, these lessons that it has given me. It's not something that you can force to get to. It's something that comes in time, but it's okay if you're not experiencing that either. It's totally okay. I now want to talk about probably everyone's favorite topic or the one people want to jump to uh, and get, which is the recovery strategy, strategies, I should say. So how does one prevent or recover from burnout? So from my literature research so far and my experience as well as hearing many, many people's experience of burnout to recovery, I've discovered that the response strategies preventing or treating burnout can be categorized into those directed at the individual, those directed at the organization, company or industry, or a combined approach, both individual and organization. I've also discovered in the literature that there is no consensus on best practice when it comes to treating burnout syndrome. There is not a one approach fits all and it is unclear what needs to be covered in interventions targeting individuals that actually positively affects the outcomes of the individual's burnout. However, burnout treatment research is clear that where there is systemic factors, so these are the organizational or industry factors, that both the organizational and individual factors must be addressed in order to cure and prevent burnout amongst employees. So this is not the individual's job only. This is a systemic job. This is even a cultural job as well in terms of preventing and treating burnout. 
At present, there seems to be a culture of the individual going off and getting therapy, but the organizational factors not being addressed at all. And these employees are going back to that industry or that particular organization and those factors that are contributing to their burnout in the first place are still in existence and they're burning out again. So this is not great. We need to address cultural, systemic and individual factors when it comes to treating and preventing burnout. So let's have a look at some of these resources. What, what are the resources that have been found to help uh, support preventing and, and possibly treating burnout? So from occupational side of things, anything perceived by the individual to help attain their work goals. So this could be opportunities for professional development in their workplace, in their industry, supervision and feedback. I've heard this one a lot where there's been absence of this, that that has been a contributing factor to their burnout. Autonomy, support uh, a supportive network within the workplace, regular positive growth-orientated feedback, a flexible work environment as well, reducing work time or, or flexibility to help increasing, increase quality of life, so a good work-life balance, job security. Now, this one blows my mind, so simple, but we live in a society now in a culture, at least here in Australia, where a lot of work is becoming contract casual. And so people are losing certain securities that come with job, like, uh, you, know, uh, you know, knowing how many hours they're going to get a week, knowing when that next pay packet's coming in, uh, not just having their hours dropped, you know, because the work isn't there. So job security engagement of staff so that you know team involvement so that culture of participation equality and fairness adjusting workloads where need be to help again promote that work-life balance and health and well-being promotion of staff well-being opportunities within the workplace and also having people in the top levels doing those kind of things and promoting that so it not just being at the ground level it needs to be a participation in all levels mental health awareness culture and not, not just talking to this actually living it breathing it so yeah not just a token thing um, like a sign on a wall management support as i mentioned for implementation of these things now let's look at some of the individual strategies that can help with managing uh, burnout, recovering from it, or even preventing it. So a meditation practice, relaxation methods, mindfulness, yoga, self-efficacy building exercises, cognitive behavioral interventions to enhance coping resources for stresses in, in work or even home life. Things like cognitive techniques to target belief systems that may underpin some really unhealthy behaviors. Like for me, one of the big ones is, you know, feeling responsible for other ones, everyone's thoughts, feelings and, and um, behaviors. And so this was unhealthy leading to my burnout and stress. So working on cognitive strategies to shift and change that belief to something more balanced. Uh, person directed strategies so this is talking more to that we need to tailor the in individual in interventions to suit that person particularly and this is something as mental health professionals we we are trained in doing is that 
it's not a one size fits all. Uh, everyone's treatment's going to look different because their health looks different. So, you know, I know when I've worked with people with depression and anxiety conditions, they might have the same label, like generalized anxiety disorder or panic disorder, but their treatment is going to look different. It's going to be person tailored for that person. So they know this is something that's found in research to be important in this area as well as others. Having meaning and purpose, this was a big one for me. And that took a lot of uh, self-awareness, self-reflection, talk therapy with my psychologist to work on and then connect with nurturing relationships. So, and, and actually for me, and I'm sure for other people, learning some relationship skills in order to develop nurturing relationships or in my existing relationships to, to be able to, yeah, not make them if if it's possible to to allow them to be more nurturing and these were things like I, I I needed to work on being able to put my needs first and express my needs to to others uh, just to give an example of that relationship work uh, looking at and, and putting into practice activities outside of work so there's more of a balance so making time for interest and hobbies if that's what you want to do but not you know everything being about work which can be a factor that can contribute to burnout setting boundaries big big one uh, and there's a lot of great information out there and a lot of uh, mental health professionals you know working specifically in boundaries and uh, you know tap into them and their books and and their workshops and you know because yeah boundaries is a big one and it's hard it's a hard skill to develop when you haven't had it um, before assertiveness so this kind of comes into boundaries as well but assertiveness communication skills is very important self-care strategies work-life balance strategies as well I mean these are just to name a few there's there's a lot of things that on an individual basis that we can do even if we are in a work setting that is contributing to our burnout now I'm not saying you're going to heal in that setting uh, but that Working on ourselves individually is going to be something growth orientated for you anyway. But yes, yeah, certainly staying in that unhealthy environment and, and it not changing is not going to be conducive to your well-being. But still don't let that stop you from working on those individual factors for yourself and, and for your future. Now, I don't have anything on like cultural shifts or changes here and, and anyone listening who is an expert in this area or has knowledge or, or does research in this area, please reach out. Please let me know. Maybe I can have you on the show to talk to cultural uh, prevention and, and treatment strategies as well, because as we've talked about, you know, certainly there's cultural aspects that contribute to this I'm going to call it a pandemic of burnout that we're experiencing that we need to shift at that level as well. But again, change comes with individuals changing as well and to shift a culture. If we work on ourselves and we change ourselves for the better, that's going to help our culture as well. So I'd like to share with you now just a short clip from episode six of the podcast where the guest was me. And this was an episode where I was still not working and I was still recovering from my burnout. But it was an episode where I reflected back on the experience. And in this clip, I share some of the things that were supporting me at the time. And I stuck to my routine of exercise and coffee in the morning with my gym friends. I was already 
in a, a very good habit of uh, exercising daily and when time permitted I would also have a coffee with my gym buddies um, after the session and before I went to work. So I decided to keep that going because I knew this was a really uh, helpful thing for me in, in supporting my mental health. I meditated. Uh, this was something I always felt pulled towards and did occasionally. Uh, I've made more of an effort to meditate since leaving work, particularly to help me be present with my uh, feelings of sadness uh, and any other feelings I was experiencing. I allowed a place to fuck up <laughs> and learn as I go. So basically letting myself, like, it's okay if you don't know what you're doing right now, it's okay if you keep going back into cycles of coping ineffectively or, or you're not meditating today. Like basically giving myself permission to, ah, oh, fuck it up, you know, and, and we'll learn. We'll learn as we go. I've always been a bit of a, or a, a major perfectionist and it really plays a, or has played a big role in my professional life. So this was really important to me, just to, to let myself make mistakes, make errors. It's okay, we'll learn from them. And allowed uh, time and space for creativity and play. This was a big one for me. So there you have it, a few of the strategies that I was using at the time and still do most of those to maintain my mental health. And I just encourage you now to take a moment to reflect on your practices, whether that is as a business owner, leader, manager, or an individual. Do you partake or deliver these strategies or supports? If so, does it help? If not, what, what can you start doing to help prevent or support yourself or others who are experiencing burnout? Okay, last topic that I wanted to talk to you today in my snapshot of burnout is resources. You know, where to, where to go for help? Now, this is not an exhausted list, and some of these things will be uh, specific to the country that I live in, Australia, but some of it is accessible um, across the world. So the first is books as a resource. You know, during my burnout, one of the books I turned to was by the Nagorski sisters called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. And uh, their book is very experiential that you do exercises to help absorb and apply what you're learning. So I can highly recommend that one. And I'm currently reading a book by Sarah Cooper's uh, called The Thriving Giver, uh, which is another wonderful resource that I, I can recommend. I also tapped into apps. Uh, now, I don't know of an app that particularly targets burnout. If there is one, please let me know. I'd love to, love to know. But the apps that I tapped into were ones that helped with those individual strategies like the Insight Timer, which is a meditation app, and Calm, which is another sort of mindfulness-based uh, meditation app with particular programs focusing on things like relaxation or or sleep supporting healthier sleep and things like that 
so those are two that I know of and there'd be plenty more out there. So apps is another resource to tap in. There's also a lot of podcasts out there on burnout particularly, but also on mental health and well-being. So doing a search and, you know, if you're someone who likes to listen and absorb information that way, that's a great resource to tap into. I didn't particularly listen to any podcasts. I'm more of a reader or an app user rather than a podcast listener. Funny, funny that I am now a podcaster, but I don't tend to listen. Uh, so, or listen to podcasts, but there's plenty out there. So check them out. I, the next one, social media pages. I, I like to flood my personal social media with liking and following pages that help support my health and well-being so I'd already had that set up but I joined many others throughout my burnout as well and two that I just want to mention their Instagram handle at tempo.therapy and at happinessau and at and underscore life happened. These three Instagram accounts uh, are focused on the health and well-being of others and are doing a lot of work out there to support particularly professionals suffering from from burnout but just in general building resilience building mentally mental healthy communities. Another one that can be tapped into, I didn't, but online and face-to-face wellness programs, workshops, events run by counsellors, coaches, people professional in the area. There's a lot out there on workshops for burnout that you can tap into as well. But look into that in your area. A quick Google search, you can find what's available. Also, something that's more specific to Australia, there's this uh, place that does a lot of research and developing programs for mental health and well-being. They're called the Black Dog Institute, and they are doing work around workplace stress as well. And they have a program called Building Resilience to Workplace Stress. Google that and you'll find the information that they have and the resources around that. It's, I think, for individuals, but also for organizations. Something for the individual here in Australia, uh, through seeing your GP or even a psychiatrist you can get on what they call the mental health treatment plan you need to do an assessment with that GP or psychiatrist first to determine whether you're eligible but what this allows is that with that mental health treatment plan you can go off to see a psychologist a social worker or I think occupational therapist mental health specialist but usually you psychs and your social workers Uh, more equipped to help with the burnout and and any related conditions like depression etc that having that mental health care plan means you'll get a a rebate from Medicare which is our medical social services kind of system here to help subsidize that cost of seeing a psychologist now that is something that I did in my recovery was going and getting onto that plan so I could go see a clinical psychologist and it just made it that much more affordable to get the care that I needed because yeah I, I think it was at the time and it changes and she's a clinical psychologist so I got a rebate of I think close to $130 off the session so I was out of pocket probably around $90 to $100 so yeah certainly made it more affordable. Also here in Australia through your workplace, they might have an employee assistant program or EAP for short. Now this often offers um, some short-term therapy via, I think usually it's it's sometimes face-to-face, but also online or phone. I think up to three sessions, if not six, if need be. So often it's not 
enough, but it's something, especially if you're waiting to get in to see a psychologist through the mental health treatment plan. So EAP counselling is another avenue there. Also, another foundation here in Australia called Beyond Blue, who do a lot of work in the mental health area, particularly around depression, they are uh, focusing on workplace mental health as well. And they have a program called Heads Up that is worth checking out too. So that's a, a little bit of uh, resources and recommendations I can make to help point you in a direction to go get help if you or someone you know or people you work with are experiencing burnout. It's always nice to know what direction you can point them into or to and, and maybe even depending on the situation go with you know to support them in, in making that step. Or with yourself, if you're going through burnout, you know, you're certainly knowing where you can go. So I hope that's helpful in some way, shape or form. So that brings me to the end of the content area that I wanted to share with you today on this episode focused on a, giving you a snapshot of burnout syndrome. I do hope that you found this helpful in some sort of way in terms of building your knowledge and understanding of burnout syndrome and how to recognize it and how to respond to it. And as I've mentioned before, I do plan to continue providing this kind of episode every second month that will focus on building people's awareness of burnout, how to recognize it and how to respond to it. So if there's a burning question that you have about burnout or something that you'd like answered or featured on this, uh, those episodes of this podcast, please email me. So my email is a different kind of gap year at outlook.com. I already have a next topic in mind, and that is journaling as a tool in recovering from burnout, one that I used from the very start. So I am doing some research and pulling together uh, the content for this for that podcast. So I look forward to delivering this uh, to you. But thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Burnout, a different kind of gap year podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please like or comment to let me know. Also share so others can benefit too. To keep up to date when new episodes are released, follow us on your favorite podcast provider or subscribe at www.adifferentkindofgapyear.com. If you'd like to share your burnout to recover experience or you are an expert working in the field of burnout and would like to share your work on the podcast, please email me at a different kind of gap year at outlook.com. The views, opinions, tips and the like expressed in this podcast by myself or my guests are not a replacement for personalized therapy. Just like I've done for myself, I encourage those of you who are suffering to seek professional help.